Hello there, welcome to Back on the Ball with Dean Edwards and Colin Lee, brought to you courtesy of Woolen Solicitors and Greenwood Accountants. Now, there is only one topic that we can touch on today, and that is the future of Torquay United. Now, first of all, we do hope there is a future because... For the grace of God, there goes any one of three clubs within Devon, and God knows how many clubs around the country. Colin, do you want to start with this? I know you're both involved in Torquay in the past. What for the future? I think it's really difficult because people have come into the club, they've invested in the club, and unfortunately things haven't quite worked out. I can remember when I came into the football club when Mike Bateson had more or less decided not to continue as the owner stroke chairman at the time and I was asked to come in and rebuild the football club it was very very difficult you had to look at every single angle Mm. to give you an idea I worked in every single department (coughs) at Torquay United from pulling pints of beer I actually went on a salaried course to make sure they were actually doing that properly I looked at the food being sold uh, on match days tried to improve everything within the football club and ultimately had to find a manager, a manager who actually knew that league and knew what players were required to try and get us back into the football league. And in between that, obviously, you have to use sums. If you don't do your sums correctly, then football clubs, sadly, uh, at this level, disappear and and in the worst situation, just fold up completely. Everything comes down to money. It does, but if you... you, If you do the sums correctly, and let's say, for example, you've done your sums and the manager comes up with a player and really wants that player to come in, and then it's a case of taking that to the board of directors, and if there's someone on the board of directors who wants to fund that player, or if the group together want to put money in to fund that player outside of the budget, then that's the way forward. I think it's really important that supporters of these clubs recognise the difficulty that the directors and ownership of these clubs face. But I think it's also important that the owners and the people that are ultimately held responsible give a clear picture to the supporters on how difficult it can be. You know, you take what's just happened at Torquay. You know, the chairman of the owner had put in getting on for nearly £5 million. And because the team weren't achieving what the supporters thought they should have been achieving he's come under immense flack anyone in that situation would say is enough's enough you know i I think i would you know i would well you've both come under flack just bring dino in here you've you've been not physically but verbally attacked when you've when you haven't been performing well as a club manager well yeah i mean look actually let's rephrase that when the fans thought you weren't performing well as a club manager yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we've, we touched on this on the last podcast. Yeah. It's a difficult situation because the fans don't really have the inside knowledge that they think they do. And people inside have the knowledge that they know it ain't working. Look, I was there when Mike Bateson came in first and he was a businessman. And first and foremost, he wanted to promote his business and he's taken over the club. And in the back of his mind also, a few times it was touched on that he wanted to sell the ground and move to another stadium never quite happened but I saw Mike after the first year he just put the brakes on he saw he was hemorrhaging money yeah and to be honest with you any football fan that thinks that any businessman is going to go into a football club and play all of his family's inheritance and his hard-earned cash into it I think they're deluded because 
if the people are honest, the businessmen are honest, most of them go in to get the ground. I would say that 100%. I've well, seen it, especially at grassroots level. I'm just wondering how many football pitches around this country are now supermarkets. I mean, it's it's uncanny. Yeah. The only thing I will say, and I may be talking out of the top of my hat, when Everton move, the pitch still stays for sporting and uh, community projects locally. Mm. It'll not be built on. That's the rumour I was hearing when I last went up to uh, see Goodison. But well, that's rarity. That is a rare thing. The, the owners, the current, well, they say the current owners of Torquay United. I mean, you've got to remember, they owned Bristol Rovers when it was Eastville. And they also own Swindon Suit Speedway. And, you know, you have to look into history of, of, of businesses and people to see what their motives are. And I, I think, you know, without coming out, you know, in, in black and white and saying, look, I want the ground, then his only fault really is that he's tried to manoeuvre a good situation for himself. And you can't blame him for that in a way because, you know, it'd be great to have a new ground, but... You know the you know the diehards they want to stay at their home ground because all the history's there. Yeah. You know it's not it's, you know you look at Man City, you look at Arsenal, you look at West Ham. You know you can't beat playing at Upton Park, Highbury, and places like that. But now, you know they've got for me I call them plastic fans. You know Liverpool, Man United, and, and your club Everton they're going to move next year. Yeah. You know I think if you ask hundred percent of the fans, probably eighty ninety percent would, would still want to stay at Goodison. But it's not, it's not viable because it's it's, not the purpose. life moves on and the grounds move on and people move on. I mean, you know, there there's must be 30, 40 people in a squad now, isn't there? There probably is. The thing is that he came into Torquay United and he had a plan in his head. And I don't think there was anything wrong with that plan, to be quite honest. You know, mm-hmm. you're saying about new stadiums. I think, I think if, if the people of Torbay or the South West could benefit from uh, a new stadium in and around the Torbay area, why not, you know, because that takes it to a different level. Um, I think the team itself, the club itself, could benefit from that. You know, at the moment, they're stuck at Plainmore. Uh, It's not worked, as we said just now, for for many, many reasons. But he was quite open in saying that, you know, I would like to more or less move Torquay United to a new stadium, sell... I'd imagine the franchise to the likes of, you know, your supermarkets, your your, your retail businesses, uh, which would help fund that project. And if he made money out of it, great, you know, because yeah. that was a business venture. But sadly, it's not worked out for him. It's not worked out for Torquay. You know, he's staring a, a debt of getting on for five million. And uh, it's left Torquay in a, a very, very difficult situation. I would say that, you know, they've well, they got 10 days to try and find a buyer. The likelihood of that is very, very small. They'll then be deducted up to 10 points. I'd imagine it would be 10. I think it's a maximum of 13. Puts them just above the relegation. If by the end of the season there's no buyer, by the start of next season there's no buyer, then really sadly that'll be the end of Torquay United in my eyes. What is the point when you're in financial straits to then penalise them points-wise. Is there any sense in that decision? Well, I think they're going on now in the... They're talking to the FA about, you know, vetting the owners more as they as they really? buy clubs, yeah. I mean, look, the people who buy football clubs are called businessmen for a reason. They're businessmen, you know. They're not there most of the time for the love of the club. They are to, to do what they need to do. 
And if people open their minds a bit more and think, well, look, we could benefit from this, because there's only two ways Torquay are going to go now, and I don't think it's going to be up. The simple reason for that is I don't think they're going to let any lunatics out of the asylum in the next few weeks. Um, And when the businessmen do see what the Osbournes have been through, they'll probably go, well, I'm not going to get any land here, and I don't love Torquay United. Now, I love Torquay United, and when I put the consortium together, it was a glorified fan takeover, but we had 185,000. We weren't going to go do anything. We weren't going to go anywhere. And I don't know what the fans expected. We were still halfway, well, just above or just below halfway of the National League. I thought we were, we were swimming channels on what we got. I cut the budget from 850,000 to 350,000. Well, I'll tell you this, if the fans take over, their budget will be about 2,000 a week. They'll be in that league, if not the league below, because they can't survive on that kind of money, not with the operational costs that they've got. It's, it's impossible. We worked it out, I think, when you were there. I think it's yeah. 2,200 they need to break level every game. As a attendance? Yeah. And they did really well. Four and a half this weekend? They got three, three and a half. half. Three and a half, was it? But, but again, you know, I look at the fans and I think, why have you all turned up? That money's going to go into Osborne's pocket. It's not going to go into the club's pocket. You know, what they'd have done better staying out the ground. Hmm... Because when they need the money, they're going to need it. Because if nobody turns up in the next few weeks, there's going to be a massive problem. And they could go bust, properly bust, like Darlington. And the other bad thing about the, the, the situation is they're a Darlington because geographically in the country, they're in a really bad place because it was bad enough trying to get players when we are in the league. Uh, well, I was talking about this to my wife this weekend who does know the offside rule. She's, uh, she's got a greater understanding of football and a greater passion of football than anyone I've met. And she literally said that we are all, Argyle, Exeter, Torquay, we're at the end of a communication structure which doesn't work. Mm. We don't have a, a proper motorway down here. Mm. Um, our roads and rails are all, you know, suffering either potholes or delays we've got Dawlish to get by and when players come down mm. especially down to Argyle I remember there was one particular player that came down with his wife who was a model she didn't want to live down here no so he went again you yeah. know it's a case of like we are at the end of the country basically it does not work geographically yeah. where we are well the thing is as well sorry Carl I think the, the thing is as well when Cyril Knowles used to say this he always used to try and sign all his players in the summer because he'd walk along to Torquay Seafront when there's yeah. mobs of people and everything's going on. If he signed him in October, they'd probably... Like, I remember we signed a Dutch player once and uh, one of the lads picked him up from the airport, brought him to Plainmore and he went, this is a good training ground. <laughs> no, it's our ground. <laughs> it, was only, it was only recently, or probably about when Thea Bristow had the stand built, the, I mean, it was a ramshackle old place, Plainmore. It wasn't. In fact, if it had stayed as it was, I think they'd have closed it down. God, it was in that bad estate. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I've had this conversation with uh, with uh, a gentleman at Exeter City. I remember the state that the stands were in in the in the eighties then. Mm. Uh, but yeah, actually, funny you should mention that. I only once appeared on a on a stage locally with um, Larry Grayson, bless him. <laughs> but a man who found out that moving to Torquay. When the winter came, it was a lonely, cold place. Yeah, and it sure. was tough. 
I think if you go back to talking about the liquidation situation as well, Dave, that people need to understand the liquidation and how it works. And that's what Dean was touching on about 3,640-odd people turning up on Saturday. Well, the Tusta are putting something out there, and I, I can see their motive on obviously trying to save their football club. So they've raised about £2,500 from donations. What they have to realise is that the club will be taken over by the accountants who are, who are put in place by the liquidation, and those accountants dictate how the money is spent. Uh, first and foremost, on the top of the tree will be the players' wages. Um, so the players are, I wouldn't say safe, but they will be getting something from the from the takings. Right. Uh, but when all this sort of uh, comes to an end, uh, the money that's there will then they start to try and pay off the debts that are there. And from what I can gather, the debt is owed to the previous owner mm-hmm. of getting on for nearly £5 million. So there will be a negotiation taking place. And in most situations, the debt that's outstanding, they offer around 35p in the pound to pay off that debt. Ooh. So if you do the calculation on £5 million, they've got to try and find that sort of money. Now, that's not going to be easy. So the money that, that the Tust is saying that they are collecting, and it will go solely to this and solely to that, unfortunately, that's not going to work. No. You know? Well, when I took over, the Tust was a thorn in my side because they were adamant that they wanted to take the club over. So I asked them how much they got in the bank, and they said they got £8,000. And I said, well, that'll just about buy the Gatorade drinks at half-time for the season. I just don't think they understand. They don't get it. Look, Lupart was there. Then it was Mike Bateson. Then Thea Bristow, Osborne's, myself. And I was the head of consortium. There's no two ways about it. But since... I stopped with you. The, the, yeah, but now they said that I was not part of it. They said somebody else was head of the consortium. So the, the truth gets distorted. But my point is... You've had three multi-millionaires in that football club. And I went to Thea Bristow and I said, Thea, if you want to lose your family's inheritance or you want to lose the rest of your lottery money, I said, I suggest you get out now. And she did. And to be fair, you know, she was a fan who was lucky enough to put six strokes of the pen through six lucky numbers. Uh And that's the only sort of thing that she had to to take over that football club. And that's what you need now. Another lottery winner, somebody who's been left an estate, who's mad talky United. Yeah, but I think adding to that, Dean, you, you, you need someone at the football club who knows how to run a football club. And going back to what happened to me, the football club was going in the right direction. And unfortunately, in my opinion, uh, unfortunately, not just for me, but for the football club, they decided to make a decision. So this is what's happened last week. It's not just happened over the last two or three years. It's a combination of bad decisions by the board of directors at at the football club of Torquay United a long, long time ago. You know, the decisions that are made have created this situation over a period of time. Mm. I mean, I couldn't believe what was being said to me when they were getting rid of me. And... You know, I, I was looking at it thinking, I really don't know what you wanted. 
you know, your football club is in a great position. It's come from nowhere, from two or three members of staff to two or three players to a football league position. And now you've decided to get rid of, and I do know how to run a football club. Mm. You know, I'll say that openly on this on this recording because I've been in that situation and I've had to deal with it. But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of work, 24-7 work, seven days a week. I can remember myself and my wife being up at Torquay United on a Sunday when we used to do the, the carveries. Mm. And I used to stand there carving the meat. That's how committed we were. Mm. You know, that was a life. That was our life. It took over our life. And, um, and we got rewarded with, thank you very much, after three years. I mean, to me, and I'll go back to that period, and I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, but that was the worst decision that Torquay United have ever made, in my opinion, because I said to them, in 18 months' time, you've got a fantastic foundation here at this football club. You need to build off the foundation but none of you know how to do that. And what's happened now is, a, is, is over that period of time, it's gradually got worse. They nearly made it. They hit the post with Gary Johnson penalties, yeah? You could argue the toss should Gary have left earlier. You can argue that all day long. Perhaps, perhaps over, you know, if you think about it, Gary probably survived that situation for longer than what most managers would. Okay, you know? yeah. But would it have made any difference? I don't think it would have done. I don't think it would have done. Gary, a very experienced manager, okay, might have out, outdone his time there, a new face coming in. But they were still working under the same board of directors, the same understandings, you know, outside of the football pitch. So, it, you know, you're not changing anything. You know, I look at it and think, what would I do now? As a football manager, I would do this, and I'd know exactly what to do uh, on the training field, everything. As a chief executive, I would do that. And somehow they need to get, if someone takes over that football club, they need to get someone into the football club who, in my opinion, is a football person who knows how to run a football club. For me, that's the most important thing, to give the information back to the board of directors, back to the owner and say, no, you can't do this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story, right? Quick story. I was told twice whilst I was the chief executive that we should get rid of Paul Buckle as the manager. I remember clearly one board meeting when it had been discussed, obviously outside of my ears, that Paul Buckle, we probably need to change him. What was the reason for that? Yeah, because why? because they, they didn't think that we were getting the results that we deserved at that time. And that mm. was the season that we actually got promotion. <laughs> okay. So I was in that board meeting um, and I said to them, look, we've got a manager here and you, you've got a situation here where he's brought in the players. They've started to, to knit together. Okay, we've not had such great results lately. But we're still in the we're still in the race. You know, we still got a chance. You change it now, and it's going to fall fall apart. Because a, I'm not prepared to find another manager at the moment, and I'm telling you that I think Paul Buckle will get us promotion. And I sat in that ballroom and I fought his side, and the rest is history. Because we got promotion through the playoffs, and we got promotion through the playoffs because I sat down with Paul Buckle after we'd we'd won away from home, and I can't recall what game it was which actually uh, got us into the playoffs. Right. And as soon as that match finished, Paul Buckler and I sat 
in the away ground in one of their rooms. This was directly after that game. There was no real celebration. Well done, Paul. Great. You know, we're, we're there now. What are we going to do? And we learnt from the previous season when we went to Wembley and played in the, in the uh, I think it was the cup final uh, yeah. for the, for the uh, I can't remember the name of the cup now, but we played at Wembley. And it was like the FA Cup. We were getting dressed in suits, ties, shirts, all this sort of thing. Yeah. And I sat there and I said, Paul, we've got to learn from that. That took away the concentration, if you like, the, the focus. And we lost. We lost 1-0, I think it was in, in the final, or 2-0. I said, what's your th- thoughts on it? I said, because I've got my thoughts. And my thoughts are, it's just another away game. We travel up, and we travel up on the same day, and we play like we've always played. And that's exactly what we did. But we were planning from that point. Now, a guy who knows nothing about football can do that. No. You know, a guy who knows nothing about football as a chief executive couldn't say to the board of directors, well, I think, you you know, that's for me. I am not supporting that. I'm the chief executive. I'm not really supporting that. But that's what I did. I saved Paul Buckle's skin twice. Well, I've got to ask, does does Paul know that story? Probably not. He does now. He does now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the problem is you go back to my... I mean, it's a different scenario when you... I mean, you know, you, you, by your own admittance, will say... The budget at that time was good as well. Oh, it was very and good. And you yeah. had a good budget there. You had a good, well-founded club. The directors had just taken over, so they were full of fire in their belly. It's a different scenario when you're mm. in this situation because yeah. you've got no money. You've got to start begging players to come. And I was telling you, when I employed Paul Cox, you know, I, I said to him, there's nothing here. But if you want to resurrect your career, come and do it. And, that, and he agreed to that, but then he changed his mind. He, he changed his goalposts. But we talk about moments in football clubs, and we, we touched on it last time when I mentioned about when we got to the playoffs and we played Cheltenham and 3,000. The same amount turned up for the playoffs to get us into League One than turned up on Saturday against Averley. Now, think about that. Yeah. You know, for me, it is just moments in, in, in history. And, and unfortunately, you know, there's been times when Colin left the club and that playoff and and you talk about Gary Johnson I watched that playoff game and if I'm honest there was a moment in that game where turned it for Torquay and that was when the lad went down injured they were on the ascendancy Torquay they were on top in that game and there was only going to be one winner in that game and then all of a sudden this lad's gone down he's injured and he's messing around you know oh I don't know if I want to call. I'd have dragged him off by his hair He'd have come off straight off the pitch because Torquay were, were building momentum and I think it was, it was extra time then. And then all of a sudden, the game stopped, everything went a bit flat and then it went to penalties. Then obviously it's a, it's a lottery. Yeah. But that was a big moment in Torquay's history. That was a, another Cheltenham moment where, bang, it's gone. And we had the same problem when, when we won promotion in, in 91 with uh, John Impey. He decided that he didn't want to, you know, uh, a, a team of, of well misfits and drinkers he wanted to get his own professional lads that had come in they came in got relegated you know nothing there at the club and the club just went again and then it got picked up again but Torquay's always going to have that Exeter will always have that and I think it's only going back probably what six seven years when Plymouth nearly went into administration I I remember that year that we nearly went up that was the year Plymouth administration and look at it now Oh, but, I remember the the financial mess there. But, but yeah, then yeah. James Brink came in. Yep. But you know what? Look at Plymouth now. All that new stand that they've built. It's fantastic. All the shops underneath. All the all the stuff that's going on at Plymouth. All the championship. But that wasn't favourable when he first started doing that. 
James Brent was a, a James Brent. You know, he was he was doing what he does, businessman. Yeah, well, no, he is he is a businessman. The the facilities at Argyle are brilliant. Rochdale, same problems this weekend, just by sheer chance. It's just, is it the way that people watch sport? Full stop. Because I was at a a local rugby club talking to the chairman. He suddenly twitched halfway through the conversation and vanished because somebody had left the lights on. And that was going to cost hundreds, Uh if not thousands, if those lights were on or not. Mm. Came back in. But that's the chairman rolling his sleeves up, going on, throwing the switches off to make sure the lights were out. Like you were carving the beef. Mind you, his Yorkshire puddings were dreadful. (laughs) But then the beef was lovely. (laughs) But is it it the way that sport's now watched? Or or not watched? I I, I don't think so. We're in a world recession here. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you're a businessman and you're a property developer you're going to have problems in your own life, never mind running a football club as well. And I think Colin touched on it where, you know, he was up at, you know, silly old clock doing stuff at the football ground. I was exactly the same. Yeah. I get the groundsman ring me at six o'clock in the morning. We've got no fertiliser. And I'm saying, well, we need grass on the pitch. You better go and get some from somewhere. And then uh, one of the players didn't turn up at, at, at seven o'clock like he was supposed to. He'd turn up at one o'clock in the morning, locked out of his digs, ringing me. You don't sleep, do you, Cole? I think, I think you have to have... You, you, you have to have that commitment. You know, you have to have someone at the club. Again, I can only look back at when I was there and how we rebuilt that football club. We had a consortium who came in and, and put in uh, X amount of money each, uh, which varied from, I don't know, small amounts of money to large amounts of money, uh, which created a bit of a problem because they all had an equal say. But that doesn't really come into what I'm trying to get to here. But, but they also employed me who was new into a job but had an enthusiasm and a, a commitment uh, to Torquay United for obvious reasons really because I was a local lad uh, the club meant a hell of a lot to me and still does and I wanted to get it right you know I'd, I'd given up a job working for England to come down to try and build what uh, Tony Boyce the ex-chairman described to me as his football club and Tony was, as I said before in the, the previous podcast, that he was a very, very good friend of mine and helped me immensely uh, throughout my football career. Now, I had a vision, but I, I also wanted to get every single section of that football club correct. We started off with a reasonable budget and a budget that would give us a good chance of being most certainly in the top half and pushing for the playoffs. We nearly did that in the first season, but from experiencing learning from the first season we then built on that season as opposed to going backwards we had to go forwards Uh, so there were many players brought to the table and many discussion points taking place but when we talk about finance the biggest finance comes through the turnstile and you know that from day one you know that is your biggest income your crowd coming in on home games but then you've got a budget for away travel you've got a budget for everything you've just said about putting the floodlights off, you oh, know, yeah. gas, Quickly. electricity, <laughs> running costs. Apart from just playing players' wages, you've got staffing to pay, you've got all sorts of other stuff, maintaining the pitch, etc., etc. So you, you know what you're being dealt with from day one, and it's how you structure that to be able to come out at the worst situation on an even kill. Now, I was there for three seasons, we got back into the Football League. We went to Wembley twice, and it was great. What I said in the previous podcast is we came out with a £600,000 debt. That debt wasn't created by 
exceeding the budget as such. It was discussions with the board of directors and saying, well, to get us to this position, we need to increase our budget. And they agreed to increase the budget and they got where they wanted to go, which in theory, I think, I can't remember how many board members there were, but I, I, I did work it out at one stage. Ten. Was it 10? So, you know, 60 grand from, from each director over a three-year period, it's not a bad return. Yeah. You know, when you take, you know, we used to go into the boardroom and it was like uh, being served at the Elephant in Torquay, um, free drinks, free food, everything else. Again, not budgeted for, and I brought it to their attention and said, look, you know, this is costing us, as I did the figures on it, X amount of money per game. Oh, I think that's our privilege for being directors, was, was the response. I said, well, as long as you know that that's creating a, a, a dent in our budget, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah you I know? understand, yeah. So there was lots of things that go on, and there's lots of ways of running a football club uh, to try to prevent the thing that's happened at Torquay. Unfortunately, for some reason, it's just run away at Torquay. You know, how can you, you know, create a debt of five million over five years? You know, a million pound a year. No one in their right mind would do that. I don't know what the chief executive was doing. I'd, you know, and then they talk about how low their budget was. You're talking of the same crowds, Dean, roughly, of what we were getting in the, in, in the football league. Mm. You know, it doesn't change a lot at Torquay. Mm. Nothing know? changes in the world of football. I mean, it's cyclical. Listen, we're out of time. Torquay United isn't. Let's, well, let's hope, hope not. and pray that, you know, they are there for a long time to come. You have been listening to Back on the Ball with Dean Edwards and Colin Lee, brought to you by Greenwood Accountants and Wallen Solicitors. And Colin is available for outside catering <laughs> later on this year. His quiche is melt in the mouth. Oh, uh, but his Yorkshire puddings, you could use as shin pads. <laughs>